Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm uh, uh, Roberto Rocco. I'm part of the, the colonizing working group here at King's. And it's with great pleasure uh, that uh, uh, we uh, have uh, the possibility of hosting here today a lecture uh, with uh, uh, Dr. Tuti Haddad, uh, who is a major ex expert in the political economy of uh, Israeli-Palestinian relations and is also uh, the director of the Council for British Research in the Levant. Kenyan Institute, which is based in, in East Jerusalem. Um, well, Tufik couldn't probably uh, time his uh, uh, trip to London uh, in a more uh, uh, precise way, given that just over a week ago, uh, the uh, deal of the century, as you marketed it, uh, was uh, uh, released by uh, the uh, Trump administration, uh, together with the um, Israeli president, uh, um, Prime Minister, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. So, um, well, Tufik uh, will uh, uh, be uh, talking for the next 40 to 45 minutes, uh, giving us a first reading from uh, his uh, uh, position, well, as a, as a leading expert uh, in the field. Now I will uh, uh, leave the floor to Tufik, and thanks again for coming to give this talk. So, thank you for having me here. Um, I guess it's probably appropriate to start with this sort of disclaimer, so to speak, in this business. <laughs> uh, I'm, I, I am indeed the director of the Council for British Research in the Levant Kenyan Institute in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem branch of the organization. But obviously today I'll be speaking as an individual and as an academic, and uh, I don't speak on behalf of the organization. However, if you're interested in the organization, I'm happy to speak about that as well. And there may even be some literature that you can check out because fundamentally what we're trying to do is to create an opportunity to facilitate UK research in Jerusalem and in the region at large. So we could talk about that later. The second uh, thing that I sort of wanted to start off at with is very much off of the tales of what Roberto was talking about. And so far as this is a very fast uh, and quick uh, sort of uh, attempt to get my head around this topic and turn it into something that is digestible to a new audience. Uh, over the course of the past uh, 10 days, I've been traveling in, in three different countries and uh, having a lot of commitments at the same time. Countries, I will, will say, are relevant to uh, this talk as well, both the occupied territories, Palestine, Israel, as well as Jordan, where I was before this. So I'm happy. And then... Uh, coming to the UK for another workshop there. So I've been quite busy. So, um, and obviously the plan is it's quite big and quite elaborate. Uh, in fact, the plan is 180 pages long, and uh, but it's primarily composed of the first 40 pages really define the sort of political parameters and basic sketch of what the deal is about. And the remaining 140 pages is basically appendices. Uh, and actually, this is consistent with the Oslo plan as well. Uh, and what you might expect, the appendices really hash out and articulate, and I would argue lock in the sort of institutional, legalistic, security mechanisms that are elaborated in the larger political framework uh, and distribution of rules and powers uh, as outlined in the Trump peace plan deal of the century, so to speak. So this is all new, quick. We can talk about how the region responds uh, to these things and, and my own impressions of having been living in Palestine for the past year, as well as having spent a fair amount of time in Jordan. 
that also we can take up uh, afterwards, in addition to what might be done about this plan. But the majority of this talk will focus on those first 40 pages, basically, which I think is most important. Um, before actually getting into the plan now, I think it's quite important to begin talking about the, the timing of it, so to speak. And I think uh, a lot has been made about Trump's sort of domestic problems regarding his impeachment trial. I think, in, in, to some extent, a, a figure like Trump, who has a, a, a large ego, so to speak, uh, and is a, a man who sort of, uh, you know, wants to sort of demonstrate, is constantly performing brinkmanship and uh, uh, whatnot, uh, there are elements of, of that coming out in the plan. However, that is not obviously the, the, the main thing here. This is an elaborate plan that was developed over the course of the last couple of years. And uh, so uh, no need to overemphasize those aspects. Perhaps much more important, however, is the more the larger political slash geostrategic dynamics that are taking place in the region that I, I believe uh, do inform to a much larger extent what's going on, why, the timing, and the nature of the, the, the plan that was put out there. And effectively, you have different regional dynamics taking place. You have essentially a collapse of, a, of, of the old Arab order that has been taking place since 2010. Uh, you have uh, increased involvement of regional actors who are very much attempting to try and uh, benefit from the situation and become regional hegemons, Israel being the foremost amongst these, but of course you have Iran and Turkey, and you also have the big big players who are still there and who are always there and who are also trying to move, namely America, which has always been there, with Israel being its sort of loyal ally in the region, and you have Russia, which has been spending a lot of its time trying to consolidate its position in Syria, not to lose that chip on the, on the chessboard, so to speak, and you have also the Chinese beginning to move into the region with the their big uh, trade plans and things like this and beginning to flirt and discuss things with the Israelis. So uh, this is an important sort of geostrategic dimension that we should also keep in context, in mind, particularly in light of the fact that we also have major uh, oil and gas reserves that have been discovered in the Eastern Mediterranean Basin. There are wars and proxy wars that are taking place around this element in Israel. Israel, Palestine, the whole region are very much embedded in, in, in these struggles right now. So it's important to keep those in the background. Um, so I, I very much see America coming out of, with this plan now to attempt to sort of uh, America to assert its position, its, its chips on the table and how it sees the future folding out from here on in. And at an opportune political moment where some of these things are being tested, but also particularly when the Arab world and the Palestinian situation itself is so weak and divided and has gone through the past 25 years of an Oslo arrangement that has fundamentally changed the relationship between the Palestinians and the Israeli occupation, re-articulated it in new forms, even if it fundamentally remains the same. Uh, as well as Palestinian relationships with, with itself, as well as its larger Arab periphery. So these are important to keep in mind. Um, uh, there's also, of course, the, the, the Israeli dimension, which is that the Israeli state for the last uh, year and a half or so has been in a, a form of political crisis. This is the Israeli domestic element to the coin, but uh, it, it too is not necessarily a driving factor, but it is worth acknowledging insofar as Insofar as essentially 
after the breakdown of the peace process and the, the intifadas and then the, the division between the West Bank and Gaza Strip, Israel, together with the international community, had largely been relatively successful in establishing certain protocols, institutions, processes of conflict management, but not conflict resolution. So basically, the, the internationals are paying a big part of the bill around the Palestinian Authority. The Israelis have imposed the security uh, uh, closure system, the 500 checkpoints, the, the systems of economic trade between the Palestinians, between Palestine and Israel, Palestinians and the Israelis, between the Palestinians and the Jordanians. And all these things have sort of been uh, laid down by the Oslo process. And, and, and now is the opportunity to sort of turn this into something that's to recognize the reality that has been created by Oslo and somehow graduate it, crystallize it into something consolidated around a plan. And this is, this is the Trump plan. Uh, but uh, the reason I raise that in the context of Israeli domestic politics is because the management nature of the, that, that the conflict has uh, 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 arrived at has essentially created a kind of political crisis inside Israel where, okay, the security question, the Israeli state and general Jewish-Israeli public at large has a dominant position that says, fine, we're not bothered with the security thing or the Palestinians or Palestinian rights. That's kind of off the table. That's been managed right now. Now the Israelis need to kind of figure out how the Israeli state will divide, and, uh, divide roles and responsibilities amongst itself. And it is having a crisis in doing that, unable to throughout the course of two different elections to actually consolidate, it, a clarify a clear position. And it's not clear that in the third Israeli election that this will be resolved. However, the release of the Trump peace plan, together with the political character that it articulates, does, you would argue, somewhat tip the scales towards the Netanyahuist uh, orientation on the map. Now, that doesn't mean Netanyahu came up with the idea. Many of the ideas that are articulated in the Trump plan are actually old labor plans, that actually are now have gone to fruition and now exist in a sort of hybrid, sort of with a hybrid political identity to it. But there is an element of the plan trying to tip the scales a little bit to the Trump plan, even though Trump himself invited both Netanyahu and Gantz, his main political rival from the blue and white faction. Both of them agreed to the, the both of them agreed to the basic to the entire thing. But because Netanyahu is in power and because the political character and smell of the plan is particularly sort of within the right Zionist, with in, 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 quote, in inverted commas, uh, character, it, it takes on that thing and it, and it will have the likelihood to push things in that direction. Of course, there is also the other, another is element to it, which has to do with Israel's, not just domestic, but Israel's regional ambitions, aspirations as a Zionist project, but also as a an actor that is aligned with the U.S. and operating, advancing more or less Western imperial capitalist interests in the region. I think it's important to acknowledge the sort of pre-existing sort of uh, organic links that exist between uh, Israel as a Zionist state birthed from the British colonial project that was taken over by American imperialism, particularly post-1967, and that there is an organic relationship between this movement and this state that it was able to create, and the Western mother country that basically has provided the main political, diplomatic, military, fiscal environment within which this project 
could thrive. And in fact, if you look at the USA to Israel, it's uh, in the, since 1967, it's basically in the range of $250 billion. You can go to the United States Cong Congressional Research Reports, which well elaborate the, the, the extensive amount of Israeli support for Israel and how actually strategic they are in strategic uh, uh, parts of basically advancing American, everything from trade to techno security, military politics, and regional aspirations. So these are all important factors that we should keep in mind. Now, of course, uh, and as I've already said, uh, this plan does not come from a vacuum. It, in fact, it's very much the, uh, the uh, result of a long historical arc. There have been many U.S. peace plans before this, and uh, we are witnessing the final, a much more matured articulation of it uh, in, in this plan that very much, I would argue, uh, anyone interested in science fiction or, any, or the cutting edge aspects of social control, politics, power, institutions, identity, how they all mix together, the Trump peace plan is probably the place to read for the best sort of sources of inspiration for this stuff because it's very much what comes to Palestine goes to the rest of the world. And it's, it's not Tawfiq Haddad telling it, it's Thomas Friedman who two months ago said, the Israel-Palestine conflict is, is off-Broadway. So eventually, once, it's, once the cool ideas and the cool plays have been figured out off-Broadway, they get to Broadway. And, and, and they do get to Broadway. And Broadway is, is London and New York and beyond. Now, perhaps not in the entire, in the same ways, but there's a lot of intellectual, uh, institutional, political work that is around this project that does get exported, certainly security-wise as well. Doctrines, etc. Uh, so... Um, now, one thing to say about American plans in the past was very much so that the Americans were actually not interested in solving the conflict according to international resolutions. In fact, the, for, since the early 90s, the Americans have been, uh, they articulated a plan in the early 90s, recognizing that they had a new international global context where they basically said, we're the, the regional hegemon. Nobody, this is our sphere of influence. Uh, we will determine what goes on there. And uh, we want a secure Jewish democratic state in this part of, of the world. That, so, uh, uh, And they have never supported in that regard any main Palestinian rights, including national self-determination or statehood. Um, and in fact, they adopted a policy uh, that was known as the gardening technique, actually, which was essentially that uh, based upon an assumption that the Palestinians and the main interlocutors are not ready for compromise and therefore what we need to do is plant the seeds and build the vegetation so to speak that will eventually that you can you prune and that you trim and eventually you get to a stage where you might be able to harvest the fruits of peace now of course how you prune who you prune under what conditions under what polit political understandings that of course is not fully disclosed but but we can see from the reality on the ground of the choices that the Americans made over the, and their priorities that they set and who they blamed, when they blamed, why they blamed, that there has been a clear arc of American policy that is consistent with the denial of Palestinian rights and that is consistent with the support of the notion of a Jewish democratic state as a permanent Western base in the region, uh, allied with the Western uh, sort of axes, so to speak. Um, 
And, and the, the Trump plan very much is uh, articulating that. Finally putting uh, on paper, uh, it, it's essentially at a stage where the U.S. might be extending its hand to actually pick the fruit that has been grown under this gardening method. Now, it's obviously under question whether they, they can pick the fruit, how ripe the fruit is, etc. But it's, it's in that territory. Now, of course, uh, the, the other side of the coin is uh, the Israeli side of the coin, which is that Israel has also had its own senses of a peace plan, so to speak, and how to resolve the conflict uh, after occupying, in this case, the, the 1967 occupied territories. And here it's important to sort of outline the fact that uh, Israel was under a contradiction in 1967 because that war did not create, it was essentially focused on destroying the Arab nationalist movement at the time and did not prioritize dealing with the Palestinians. And the result was that you, Israel came to occupy a territory that had more than a million Palestinians in it and these who remained fixed on the ground and today actually outnumbered the Jewish population between the river and the sea. So Israel was in a kind of contradiction, attempting to define itself as a Jewish democratic state. If it provided citizenship to this population, it would erode, quote, the Jewish character of the state. And if it denied the citizenship to this population, it would erode the, quote, democratic character of the state. And the result that Israel, the sort of dilemma, existential dilemma that Israel was in, was was resolved by Israeli Mil uh, Ministry of Defense uh, Chief uh, Yigal Alon in 1967, one month after the occupation, where he essentially outlined what Israel's strategic interests were with the new territories, essentially saying, we'll take all the land, we want to reintegrate it into the conquest of 1948, we'll take everything that's strategic militarily, economically, water, airspace, underground, etc., what, we, what, they, what they didn't know what to do with was the question of the Palestinian population. So the answer was to try and constantly seek a kind of proxy force for this, to, to, to have another power administer to this, this population. And they envisioned Jordan to do it since 1967. In fact, uh, this was the historical rivalry between the Palestinians and the Jordanians around this issue. It eventually failed in so far as the Oslo process led to the recognition of the PLO, and a deal between Israel and the PLO. However, as we will see through the Trump plan, actually it's the Jordan auction coming back again with a vengeance through the Oslo process in a quite uh, creative way that it takes place. So uh, essentially, uh, Trump plan is a manifestation of a kind of articulation of, of a form of what's known as the Alon plan, the main parameters of Israeli interest as defined in the West Bank, with the logic that the Palestinians cannot have a fully sovereign uh, Palestinian state. And here it's also important to recognize a fundamental contradiction that structures both American and Israeli approaches to the Palestinian question. Insofar as if the Israelis don't want the Palestinians and they need somebody else to take care of them, administer civil administrative duties, etc., something that the Israelis couldn't do after the First Intifada, on the one hand, they want a collective body to be able to govern and administer Palestinian affairs, a centralized body that could provide, be the address for Israeli and U.S. concerns security-wise and administration-wise. On the other hand, if that centralized power is too powerful, 
it forms the basis and the nucleus of a new national project for the Palestinians, which is also something that they don't want. So this, this constantly created both centralizing and decentralizing vectors or forces within the, the, the peace process and still structures that in today's, in the, in the Trump plan today. So uh, keep that in mind too. Uh, but very much so the Trump plan is about actually definitively defining where, what the final parameters will be of Israeli-Palestinian peace. Now, of course, the Oslo peace process is never laid down what the what, what was going to be the solution. It was a, a large framework that was largely structured around establishing a Palestinian authority, establishing that structure that could do that administrative role. But it kicked all the main issues of the conflict, what were known as the final status issues, to the, the long grass. So Jerusalem, settlements, borders, water, statehood, all the big key issues were kicked to the long grass while the interim period took priority. And that was not by chance because that interim period becomes the period within which the international donors, together with the Israelis, come in with, from their position of commanding heights, literally and institutionally and financially and discursively, to set the parameters of what Israeli-Palestinian peace is really all about and how, how the Palestinians should operate, the framework of the war on terror, all good governance, all of these different, uh, uh, a, a huge sort of, uh, how would you call it, an ecosystem of military, discursive, institutional, legal uh, uh, machinations that ended up articulating some form of hybrid between U.S. deep strategic interests, as well as a Zionist Israeli interest to remain entrenched on the land, permanently uh, uniting the conquest of 48 with 1967. So let's look a little bit. Uh, so this is the character of the Trump peace plan. Uh, it is uh, very much building off of the Olam plan and the Oslo plan and trying to reap the fruit of that, so to speak. Uh, it very much adopts the Israeli narrative, a Zionist uh, narrative, strong Zionist narrative. I mean, invoking things like 700 times in the Bible, the Jer Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible. It even invokes things like the Crusades, uh, remarkably. Uh, that's, uh, that's even as though tipping a hat to Christian elements that, that, that they ruled Jerusalem for 100 years, but no, nothing controversial about, about the, the, that, those acts, so to speak. Of course, there is no recognition of Palestinian rights. International law is, is thrown out the door. That's not the organizing framework of what mm -hmm. this thing is going to be about. And instead, you have an Orwelli, Orwellian arrangement that emerges from basically mm -hmm. saying, look, Oslo's been around 25 years. It's set up a map. It's set up all these checkpoints. It's set up processes. Let's simply acknowledge the reality. And uh, let's, let's lock that in and let's make that more fluid and efficient, so to speak. And believing that you can self-liquidate this conflict by pumping in enough money <laughs> and uh, technical support to be able to uh, make, it, make the political contradictions between Palestinian nationalism and Zionism displaced into internal Palestinian political and class contradictions. And that's fundamentally what's taking place. 
uh, it is and it, fundamentally what takes uh, takes place is a, a kind of um, uh, how would you say it all well. In addition to all these aspects, there's there's also strong, strong flavor of, of, of the Trumpian sort of uh, uh, let's make a deal mentality. So uh, it's not about politics. It's about making a deal. And in fact, the Israel-Palestine conflict, as it's articulated in the Trump plan, is actually not just one conflict. It's two conflicts. It's a conflict over territory, security and refugees. That's the sort of Palestinian side of the coin. And then it's a problem with the Muslim world, who, uh, uh, which is fundamentally a problem of Muslims in their articulation who want to go to Al-Aqsa and they haven't been able to for the last 50 years or whatever. So we need to figure out that problem. But basically, the larger political, colonial questions of history, etc., that's all disaggregated into mini-conflicts. And each mini-conflict the political parameters of it will be set by the Americans according to American-Israeli interests, and then any externalities generated by the imposition of that political position, as articulated by the Americans and Israelis, is to be solved with a combination of technical help, security, and um, and money, basically cheap money, like uh, money paid for by. Uh, basically, the, the the Gulf community and the Islamic Organization of uh, Cooperation (IOC). So that's how it articulates it. So the we, let's go through. Like I said, this is a fast reading. There's a lot to say about the details of it. Every time I read one of the lines, uh, it sets off a million different bells in my head that are related to other things. But I'll try and articulate some of the main aspects of the deal. So as I said, it's kind of it's an attempt to disaggregate the conflict into these sub-conflicts that can each one be addressed technically once the political parameters have been set by Israel and the Palestinians, Israel, Israel and the Americans. So it's constantly articulating this idea that there's very much this sense of that, the, that, the, that America is, is fed up with the conflict. The world is fed up with the conflict. The donors are fed up with the conflict. In fact, everybody's held hostage by this, com by this conflict. And in fact, that's something that comes out particularly at the end of the deal, the end of the thing, where very much you see, because of the larger things I mentioned before about the greater game that's going on, America wants to consolidate its player in the Middle East, and Israel has a, a major role to play in the Middle East. And what this deal is trying to do is try, trying to clear the Palestinian problem, all those, and its sub-problems, so that America and Israel can perform they are what they need to be doing in this region. Okay, earlier aspects of Oslo used to have theories that Israel was interested in economically taking over the Middle East. That was not the case, and it did not happen. Israel, at the time, however, was keenly interested to globalize its own capital, and after that, went to China and India and made relations with the third world that it didn't have before. There was the major delinking taking place between. Israeli-Palestinian and Israel's relations with the world and Israeli-Palestinian peace. Now, countries like China and India deal independently with Israel without there needing to be progress on the Israel-Palestine front. So that was a major achievement for Israel from the Oslo plan. And now Israel has a role to play in the Middle East, uh, fundamentally not to solve any of its political problems, but essentially as a security and an economic interest, and it's very clearly articulated at the end of the plan. 
Israel needs to have a hand and a role in Arab regional security and in the new economic endeavors that are taking place because the new economic endeavors that are taking place need to take place with the, the, the U.S.-aligned axes in the region that is still alive. So namely, Saudi money and, and Gulf money needs to be pumping into the region to revive its new, uh, old and new realignment of the, of the region. With Israel, a very much an integrated part of this, with this also integrated in a larger transit trade and political axes and in the global competition of, of states going on there. So the deal very much has that framing in the background. But So when we go down to the, the details of, of, of the arrangement, it, it flows from a lot of things that you might expect. Uh, so uh, there's this donor fatigue. There will not be a, a true Palestinian state, although they call it a Palestinian state. What, what, what there will be is enough for Palestinians to run their own affairs, but not enough to endanger Israeli security. And so, and that will be called a state. Okay? And then, uh, and then every major issue, settlements, Jerusalem, refugees, statehood, border, water, has a similar articulation that is basically consistent with the existing arrangement on the ground today. So, for instance, all settlements are legalized. Not one settlement is to be uh, deconstructed, despite the fact that, of course, settlements are considered to be war crimes by international law. Already, America articulated with Trump just a few months ago that settlements are perfectly legitimate. So not one settlement needs to be uh, dismembered. Of course, if you really do allow the settlements to take place, you get... I mean, I think it's generous to call it a Swiss cheese state by that point, because you really do have a zero-sum nature to things in terms of either the Palestinians have integrity or they are completely fragmented. And fragmented, not just, this doesn't just mean that Israelis are at the checkpoints around each of their locales. It means fundamentally, economically, there cannot be any horizontal synergies between Palestinian demographic towns or whatnot. In fact, what it basically means is de-development. The main developmental character of the West Bank remains and becomes entrenched. Palestinian development is not able to achieve any horizontal synergistic linkages. All the linkages remain vertical. With Israel and America on the top, then you have a Jordanian layer below that. Then you have a Palestinian authority layer below that and the, the leadership and the class stratification that that would entail. And then, of course, you have the people on the bottom. So um, it, it imagines very imaginary, fantastical uh, scenarios that simply everything has a technical solution. So even if where there is limited geographical territory, they split space into three dimensions, and it becomes possible for Israel would control everything, but the Palestinians will have a tunnel. They'll have a bridge. They will ensure that the experience of occupation is not as taxing, not as uh, not as humiliating, supposedly. So you can speed through checkpoints. You can get your, your your things in and out much faster, and there can be some form of reliability around that stuff. But of course, this is all pen on paper. In fact, all this stuff was articulated in earlier forms before, and there's no guarantee, in fact, that Israel would implement any of them. 
uh, implement it on the ground. And that also is the history of the Oslo process. Uh, uh, one particular, so there's several points that are worth taking away of, of particular interest. It's a particularly cynical arrangement, one that has the character of a predatory development uh, real estate interest, looking at a complicated historical phenomena and trying to so, solve it on that basis. So everything is seen as an opportunity to make money. The kinds of economic approaches that Palestinians can take only have to do with, they're, they're fully dependent upon Israel, but they're also revolve around things like we can develop real estate, we can develop tourism things, we can develop uh, think recreational activities, like some sort of luxury, sort of, uh, I don't know, Mar-a-Largo on the Dead Sea or something like that, that Palestinians could administer and the Israelis could allow. And in each of the things that are set up, there's always an Israeli body that's created with either either Israeli-Palestinian with the Israelis dominate or the Americans involved, where they have to say yes or no, which essentially allows Israel to direct any form of development, any form of economics uh, along their agenda. But it also opens up, I mean, hugely scary things, such as, for instance, in the Jordan Valley, a territory that is, Israel conceives is strategic to itself. It has 50,000 uh, Palestinians in it. Strategically, it's important from a military perspective that Israel maintain this line of mountains that overlooks the entire east. So Alon plan was very clear about the fact that the Jordan Valley has to be with the Israelis. Of course, it represents a third of the West Bank by itself. Uh, Israel long has sought to get rid of the population there. Now it will receive legitimacy to do that because the right to annex these territories are basically in the Trump peace plan. And then any economic activity by Palestinians in the Jordan Valley will need to have Israeli permits in it. So that's put out there in the plan. Of course, it doesn't say whether Palestinians have any recourse if the Israelis say, sorry, no more, you don't have a license for your farm anymore. And that basically makes it unsustainable. So all those little traps are all over the place in, in, in this arrangement. Uh, Jerusalem is a remarkable uh, set of uh, gymnastics that it that it does. Uh, this relates to the aspect of the plan that are particularly the, the, the billion, billion and a half Muslim tourists that they see dollar signs in the eyes uh, as a huge potential tourism attraction. This was a, a major a major issue before and, uh, and now they see its potential, particularly with the uh, the increased proximity of Israel to the donors to to the Gulf states, and their realigning interests together in the shadow of the rise of Iran. So they they figure that a billion and a half potential Muslim tourists can be coming to Jerusalem. That's a huge market that they want to make sure is theirs. Uh, so essentially, Jerusalem will not be divided in any form, despite the fact that the arrangement also speaks about its de facto partition with the Arab sides that are already behind the wall. But the wall will remain. In fact, the wall will be consolidated around each of the new little islands that, that's created. Israel will, has been a great occupier of Jerusalem, according to the literally written in the plans, and therefore its status should remain in these areas. And uh, to, to facilitate the billion and a half tourists coming into town, they will actually establish a, establish a tourism kind of receiving a 
facility in the settlement of Atarot, which is behind Kalandia checkpoint, uh, which will facilitate this, and then they will take the settlement bypass road to the holy areas in the what's known as the holy basin area in the center of Jerusalem, and every single site of religious significance will be under Israeli thing. It's articulated exactly which ones they are. Interestingly enough, uh, at the beginning of the plan, irrespective of Jerusalem, it actually articulates that Yitzhak Rabin, who is often uh, invoked as a major sort of peace player, it actually has a paragraph in it that says Rabin's understanding of how Oslo was going to play out is what we are about to do. It was less than a Palestinian state. It was not a state, and it would be less than a state, essentially sandwiched between Israel and Jordan. And in fact, Israel and Jordan very much become the, the real rentiers of this thing called Palestine state. Okay? There's this Palestine state thing that was created as a distinct uh, data pool, population set, set of economic processes, demographic pool, and this was organized by the Oslo process into this thing called the Palestine state, and internationals in Israel, Israel throughout the Oslo process maintained their commanding height over this thing to manipulate it. And, 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 and very much so, you have now basically Israel and Jordan dominating this arrangement, a fact that actually is links back to work that I did in my own research in my, my book, Palestine Limited, which basically says that the Americans had used a form of game theory back in 1993, which had them specifically pick that Israel and Jordan would be the institutional winners of the Oslo process. So now you see it coming full circle around today in the Trump plan. It's essentially, Jordan would use the port in Aqaba, and all the, also all the entrance points on, on the eastern side to be able to uh, uh, create forms of rent, create uh, free trade zones in between the, the, well, they don't actually declare where the free trade zones would be, uh, which the Jordanians would oversee. And even on all political matters related to municipalities, law, economics, there's this explicit articulation that Jordan would be an intervening power in Palestinian affairs which is a remarkable thing that, that after 25 years, basically, America's implementing a plan that had conceived of at least 30 years previously of imposing Israeli-Jordanian suzerainty a la occupation, a la apartheid, over the Palestinian national movement, building off of peace, what it, what it institutionally created, and the new class formations that were also created within Palestinian society to try and manage this situation. Uh, any other interesting details here? How are we doing on time? Five, ten more minutes. Okay. Um, the, 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 the genius about this whole... Well, there's not genius. There's a lot of other, uh, other details to d discuss about it. But uh, So, uh, what, what to do with all these territories? So, the Palestinian state is basically a Swiss cheese state. Uh, a sub-Swiss cheese state, but there will be some form of land uh, swap to take place where the Palestinians would be given chunks of land uh, uh, that, that have no population in them in, in the middle of the desert right now. 
Now, here's the trick. This is the predatory capitalism going on. You have Trump designing all, all the technical fixes of the checkpoints and the tunnels and the bridges and the land swap development areas and the housing that might be built for refugees. All of that becomes an economic opportunity for new elite creation, basically. And that's how you, they attempt to sort of lock into place the existing structures. And the fact of the matter is, is what you really have, this links, in fact, to, the, to, to what has actually taken place in Gaza, uh, particularly around the Gaza reconstruction mechanism. What you have in, in Gaza is, you know, a territory that is, uh, you know, primarily refugees, it's been bombed to smithereens over the last uh, 10 years, under siege, etc. But the international community, with the help of the World Bank, actually developed something called the Gaza Reconstruction Mechanism, which was an institution to be able to help things go in and out of Gaza, particularly what's known as dual-use materials. Okay, So essentially, Israeli security needs, so to speak, have the entire spectrum of them from military equipment all the way down to the specific calories and specific compounds that can enter Gaza are regulated by the Gaza reconstruction mechanism. This mechanism of control, of, which is Foucault's panopticon is, 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 is kindergarten compared to what they've developed because it goes down to compound specificity. Specificities of, of Israelis literally counted how many car car calories were entering Gaza. This regime is being generalized to the entire West Bank <laughs> and Gaza Strip territories. And in fact, it's not just being generalized to the West Bank territories, but now the agreement also adds that Palestinians from 1948 Palestine, those known as Palestinian citizens of Israel, those two may indeed be subject to being sandwiched forcibly to the Palestinian state, because Israel has also wanted to free itself from the Palestinian, the non-Jewish population in the Jewish state, of which there are around 2 million at this stage. So, uh, in fact, this is a plan of maintaining separation and control, maintaining a part, which is de facto a form of apartheid, but it, al it also lays the groundwork for, for accelerating ethnic cleansing in places like the Jordan Valley, as I said, if you just cut a permit off, you got the whole thing, you can clean the whole territory out. And in regards to 1948 Palestine, with basically taking away the citizenship of uh, potentially two million people, uh, and then, of course, this sort of Orwellian sort of state of uh, enclaves that are all dominated by, uh, by Israel with, with bypass roads, etc. And even early warning posts inside the, inside the Palestinian state. And uh, uh, what else to say? Uh, there's more about it. <laughs> uh, 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 and of course, Israel has the right to enter whenever, whenever, whenever it, it wants to and needs to. And none of the agreement is applicable until there is full demilitarization of not just the West Bank, but all of Gaza. <laughs> so they, <laughs> which is a quite a remarkable thing to say. With Gaza, of course, it's, uh, there's, no, there's no solution for Gaza. It's, uh, it will fall. 
the real question around Gaza is really linked to the question of refugees, which is goes back to the origins of the conflict and the initial ethnic cleansing of Palestine, uh, which has driven the conflict from the beginning. But there, the, the, the Trump plan is very clear about saying that there will be no right of return around these communities. And in fact, there will be no compensation around them because it says, <laughs> listen to this, it says, it says that, uh, to be, so we actually need to compensate the Israelis for all they have done in maintaining the situation. And we need to compensate Jewish refugees as well as the Arab states where the refugees have been in. However, the cause of peace would not be forwarded if we actually gave compensation to the refugees themselves. It would, the cause of peace would be better furthered if we invest them in the Trump peace plan. <laughs> so refugee compensation money gets diverted into Trump peace plan, which you see where this is going. Now, I, I hope I've been able to sort of articulate a, uh, a broad span of what this plan is all about, what motivates it. Uh, it is a surreal plan, I would argue. My, in my, my initial book was written based upon Palestine Limited was based upon assessing what international donors and the World Bank had done in Palestine. And I articulated the vision of, of Palestine that emerges from this as Palestine Limited, both because Palestine is not the Palestine that's created, the state of Palestine, the stamp, all, all the, the sort of formal but not real uh, <laughs> Palestine that's created out of Oslo is, is a virtual Palestine. It's, it's it's, it's limited, it's not has no relation to the original Palestine, but it's also a limited holding company that approximates a limited holding company with different forms of investors of one order or another, whether they're international, whether they're Israeli, whether they're Jordanian, whether they're a particular strata of Palestinian class formation and society. And all of these are investors of one order uh, or another, reaping forms of dividends that are not necessarily economic, but are also political or security related, but also certainly economic. And what we see now is actually Palestine LTD, through the Trump plan, essentially being given a form of electric current now. Sort of like when you put the electricity in the Frankenstein, so to speak, and he comes to life. That is the vision of what is being articulated here. And uh, obviously, it is not a plan for, for peace. It is not a plan for security. It's not a plan for justice. It is not. It's not. But what it what what it is 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 what it is. <laughs> a very dangerous plan that is for in Orwellian ways legitimizing new forms of control and apartheid and occupation. Even the term sovereignty it, it says it literally says at some stage in the in the plan that. Sovereignty is not a real concept. It just it, it mutates uh, over time. The real interest should be put a focus should be put on security and prosperity. So it doesn't matter. Just make things secure, lock it down secure, and pump some money into it, and that can solve the question. So it's a very scary scenario, and the real question is what can we do, what what can people do about it? What it means regionally. This, in one way, this is a continuity of U.S. policies historically. On another sense, it's a divergence because finally it's reached the stage of America basically announcing that this is where we are, this is how we see the conflict uh, being played out. We don't see it as 
in any other way. And there are many elements of this plan that can be activated without consent. Okay? And, we can, and the donors already have the existing infrastructure and uh, already the capacity building and the technical help and the institutions and the financial lives and the class formation. Many aspects of that are there. And more importantly about the timing aspect is that Abu Mazen is 84 years old. And in his eventual passing, there is no clear inheritor of the PLO's mantle in a unified sense, that one person who could hold on, because actually the donors and the Israelis had worked very hard in fragmenting the Palestinians geographically, economically, etc., in creating local elites through which they can govern things in, in the West Bank. And this plan is perfectly modeled to be able to create huge forms of buy-off on regional local levels, preventing the centralized possibilities of Palestinian self-determination. Gaza is something else because it's easier to tackle as a block rather than divided. The Israelis don't want to be there blocking it up because they can't. They have to they pull the settlement enterprise up. So they deal with it as a block and it has a different set of interests governing it. That, that will be governed through a potential port and a potential airport that also will be where they can create economic interests for a future Hamas when that is actually ripe. But Gaza is actually not ripe now. It's too militarized and it's too politicized right now. And so that's sort of thrown off to history. Now the focus is much more on the West Bank and the legitimacy that, is, that the Americans through this plan give to things like annexation and all the main parameters basically will green light Israel to move forward and fast on these things. And in fact, Benny Gantz just uh, less than a week ago said he accepted the Trump peace plan, and he would take it the first week to the Knesset to get it passed through. So uh, you have both wings of, of the main Zionist wings in, inside Israel fully supporting this plan. Trump throwing it out there, tipping it to Netanyahu because he prefers it to be on that side of the coin rather than the other side of the coin. But f f fundamentally, sort of laying the ground, he can operate through both sets of interests, whoever controls Israel once they resolve their, their political crises amongst each other. So I'll leave it at that for now, because that's probably a lot, and we can have some questions after that. Thank you.